dopamine swipe, dopamine, dopamine swipe. Follow us, likes, double tap. Now they control your life. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the 817 Podcast. I'm Jimmy here with my co-host, EJ, and... Uh, Last week, thanks to everyone for tuning in for our District 11 panel. We had a ton of fun hosting that. It was really cool to get all five candidates on board and uh, talking about the future of District 11. How are you feeling about it? Dude, I mean, it's first time in Fort Worth history to add a, uh, an extended city council. Uh, so we had District 10 and District 11 added this year. We hosted the first inaugural Royally True debate. We had all five candidates which is still hold to be the only true uh, panel to do that. It's it's nice to be a part of history while we're over here just hanging out, you know, trying, you know, not really, you know, the amount of messages I got thanking us for doing it, which is awesome to see who shared it. It's great. And, and to also welcome all the new people who could be listening to the 817 podcast. For those of you who are new, who heard the District 11 candidate panel, our regular is every Monday we me and Jimmy, we talk and we talk about Fort Worth, politics, trends, news, what's going on. We highlight three short stories. We talk about a big story and then we end with our wins and losses. And so um, if you're new to the pod, you're going to feel what it's like on a regular basis when we're not doing a district level, a uh, district uh, 11 panel. What was your take on it? I really enjoyed it. I appreciated everyone, you know, coming, being candid uh, and really sharing their visions for District 11. I think the thing that shines through most of all is that we have five candidates who are all very passionate about Fort Worth, whether that is they grew up here or they chose to relocate here and dig in roots. Um, it's five people that are very passionate about the community um, and that have deeply invested themselves in the community for a long time. And so I think that's something that we can just like be thankful for, uh, for the candidates that we've got. Yeah. And we're going to, our big story today will be breaking down the district 11 uh, panel as well as district four, district seven, and the mayor, uh, candidate, uh, formed by the Fort Worth report. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive into uh, short stories. And uh, this one, I guess, is a, uh, the first short story is an exciting one. How do we want to explain this to people who've been listening to the 817 pod for, heck, almost, what, three years now? Are yeah, we? I mean, it was June of 2020 that we started. Yeah. At least June of 2020 that we recorded. I don't know if we posted until July or maybe yeah, even yeah. August. Um, but yeah, my uh, my time in Fort Worth and with the 817 is uh, my days are numbered. Um, <laughs> I don't have an exact number of those days, uh, but we, we've we put our house on the market. Um, we're going to be traveling full-time for uh, at least a year before we land internationally. Um, so, yeah, the, the A17 is one of the few things that... Uh, you know, I don't have an immediate replacement for um, in my like routines. So I am definitely going to miss it. Um, I'll miss all of the passionate listeners, like all of you that respond, that engage with us, that see us around town and say something and start a conversation. Um, yeah, I'll definitely miss all of that. But uh, so what's that saying there is, um, you know, after, you know, we, we, we have a few more weeks together, you know, Jimmy and, and myself uh, hosting this awesome podcast. Um, I, you know, I'm interested to know your guys' take. You know, I mean, for, for me, I, I've gone back and forth like, hey, is this a great excuse to just shut it down? You know, hey, Jimmy's gone. Hey, we, we did a good run. We've changed some minds. We, we've given a lot of fresh perspective. And I think battling with what to do post- post Jimmy is it's been a, a hard thing on my end on my end I, I do have a short list of co-hosts I'm I'm vetting and looking to talk to and see if they'd be interested in joining me on the pod if you're someone who you think hey I've been a, a consistent listener I can provide value I could uh you know this is something I'm I'm interested in please email us you can see uh, the email in the description uh, ejc at hey.com uh but yeah I mean 
I'm pretty 50-50 on what to do next, you know, with the pod. I mean, a, a part of me feels like we've we've got something good. Um, but is it the same with you not being here? That's the question. You know, how, how, how what's the iteration? I've thought of maybe two more people on the as co-hosts. So you have like three of us. Um, and then I could play more of a moderator role. I don't know. What would you like to see if, if you know, an updated software of the pod happened? Like, what do you see as like, man, this could be this if me and you tried a little more on it uh i think it my opinion is whatever makes you happy you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good you know i i think that we um have gotten to form a fun community around this um we've gotten to see and hear from a lot of uh the uh, I would say under the radar change makers in the city, um, as well as talk to plenty of people that are part of the um, establishment, and we've you know gotten to work with people on both sides of things. I know it's a it's one of those things where local politics is always going to be a niche audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know we're not out here uh, advertising new businesses or featuring where you should go eat on Friday night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, because of that niche things can often run dry um, or just kind of fade out into existence. But I think we, we've got a great thing going and uh, you know, maybe you'll find someone who pisses people off a little bit less than me. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you know, so you're going to probably hear different voices the next couple of weeks. It, it, honestly, it's a f- fly by night, like, by the seat of her pants, you know, just organically trying to figure out what to do. Um, but um, would love to hear your thoughts or comments uh, about what's next for the 817 podcast. But let's go ahead and move into your one of your favorite topics to talk about. Let's talk about transportation. Uh, the United States Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg made a stop at DFW Airport Thursday to break ground on a $28.8 million airfield project that he says will cut down on near accidents between aircraft there has been more than 700 incidents across the country so far in 2023 in which airfield mistakes could have led to aircraft accidents the federal aviation administration has reported that includes a near collision between a fedex cargo plane and a southwest airline plane in austin last month which prompted uh an ffa investigation that have you watched a video of that yeah yeah oh my that was wild yeah and that wasn't i mean it was the uh it was one of the pilots that fixed it that saw it about to happen it wasn't anybody in air traffic control um i mean i think it's really cool that one that maybe this was something that was in the pipeline for a while but it seems like we've moved pretty quickly on making it happen especially after that potentially horrific incident in austin it's cool that it's happening in DFW. I, I think we're getting a Terminal F sometime soon, too. Like, I think they're going to be adding a terminal and adding this. Like, we're a place with a lot of space. Um, and more and more so are becoming a hub for air traffic in the U.S. Um, and it's all, I mean, anytime you get a federal official like that coming to the area, to announce a project or just to visit you know it's important and you know it's something that they're passionate about so i i thought it was really cool to see i still call him mayor pete i, <laughs> I you know i just like never gonna uh break the mayor pete thought in my head um but really cool to see him come visit yep and dfw is the second busiest airport in the world um which i think that's super just cool as well to add um, we learned about that um, in several different articles, but we also talked about that on the Economist episode as well. Uh, Pete Buttigieg also discussed and spoke out about Southwest Airlines cancellations and delayed thousands of flights after the winter storm in December. He quote said, every time a passenger gets on a plane, every time I get on a plane, they can do so with the knowledge that not just men and women of the FAA, but the airline and those who are designing these facilities are working to ensure they're safe. So, you know, we're always going to be a city who's led, who leads in aviation from American Airlines being HQ'd here, DFW being the second busiest in the world. Then you got all of our um, Southwest HQ. Yeah, 
Yep, in Dallas and then the military piece, Lockheed and all that that we have also uh, around us. So continue to see uh, that impact. And that's why oftentimes Irving, Texas out innovates and out succeeds Fort Worth, Texas is because how close they are to uh, the airport leading to a bunch of um, new innovations and things like that. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, was cool as well to see uh, last last uh, week. Next, uh, we're going to talk about housing in Fort Worth and Tarrant County. So some homelessness numbers came out for Tarrant County this week. It was higher than expected. It seems like the city council and like Tarrant County commissioners knew that the number was going to have increased, but even so it increased more than they would have expected. So, uh, you know, one in four people experiencing homelessness are part of a family. So we're not just talking about random people like we're talking about families with children that are unhoused um it the number of homeless families has increased 27 percent this year compared to 2020 um the combined effects of the pandemic era housing protections like rental assistance and eviction moratoriums combined with inflation and an increase in ev- evictions have left more Tarrant County residents homeless King said um, obviously they got to throw inflation in there when they can but <laughs> this is something we talked about like two years ago how even before the eviction moratoriums were starting to come up Fort Worth was leading the way in evicting people mm-hmm. So this isn't surprising because we started taking these steps to kick people out of their homes two years ago at a rate faster than anyone else around the country. Um, So eviction filings now in Fort Worth have reached levels higher than before the pandemic. In February, over 3,800 evictions were filed, 36% higher than the pre pandemic monthly average the numbers have been higher than the average since february 2022 tough look yeah yeah no yep you're 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 i think we're we're now seeing the the breaks of post-pandemic relief like it, it's coming like this i mean this year you got the eviction filing 36 percent. you got the homeless uh you said 20 uh 27 um we got walmart uh, in Fort Worth, cutting a thousand plus jobs in Fort Worth uh, in their e-commerce facility, you're starting to see um, the the blue collar or just the the working class and just even I would say the middle class family of Fort Worth being pressed. Um, even just seeing the the fight we you know last year had the lowest levels of purchased homes by our first home time buyers. It was like twenty six percent. So you're just seeing a lot of this is getting hard. Yeah, I think, yeah, we covered a few weeks ago those couple of projects, um, those affordable housing projects that are coming. Um, has announced two new projects to increase permanently affordable housing in Fort Worth. Tarrant County and Arlington has also committed $32.5 million and $4 million to fund more affordable housing. Um, but we're still looking at, uh, we've talked about how, you know, corporations, non-individuals are buying more and more uh, houses, a larger percentage of houses in the area. And that's even a tough thing to parse out because, you know, someone could file Jimmy and EJ LLC and, you know, we're not a corporation buying up a bunch of housing, but technically we are a corporation buying a house. Mm -hmm. Um, But because of that, we're seeing housing supply drop. We're seeing... Uh, you know, as property taxes increase, especially on non-homesteads where there's no homestead exemption to like limit the value of that increase, um, those property taxes, landlords aren't going to take those on. Like they're, you know, already the ones basing their livelihood around owning a house and making somebody rent it from them. Um, so that cost is being passed on. And uh, I think that you know, we are at this small um, reckoning point where Fort Worth as a blue collar city, and I think that takes a lot of pride in being a blue collar city, is kind of in this area where 
the wage increases are not necessarily happening. The, you know, working remotely isn't necessarily happening. And I think it it's all kind of coming to a head where being a little bit behind the times in the industries that fuel the city uh, is going to make us feel the brunt of some of these trends a little bit more. Even though, like, I'll be clear, the recession conversation is outdated. Like, Mm -hmm. GDP is growing over expectation again and again. Like, we're not in a recession, no matter how much uh, the Star-Telegram or other um, publications are trying to will that into existence. But where that growth is happening might be a little bit out of step with where Fort Worth's population base is. And we could be seeing some more homelessness and evictions because of that. I'm looking at the, and we'll, we'll tag this into the episode. Um, The mayor uh, did a tweet around this. So everyone kind of saw this coming that we're going to have this data. I think they were, they were impressed that they were surprised how high it was, but in a March 29th, 29th, tweet uh, mayor maddie parker said appreciate the tchc's update at the state of homeless address which is the tarrant county homeless coalition uh it says even as we partner to make historic investments in housing and champion innovative programs we must continue to work to serve our most vulnerable neighbors and then she had an access to the presentation um that was delivered that day um you know key points that i kind of saw is you know 62 percent male 18% 18% children of those um, in homelessness, 15, 57% are sheltered compared to 43% unsheltered. Some notable trends they also kind of added, 22% increase in homelessness, which is what the big stat is, 27% increase in unsheltered homeless, but we also saw a 27% increase in veteran homelessness and 27% increase in family homelessness. Those were the kind of the big takes uh, uh, there. And I think only... Another thing that kind of adds to the pressing situation here is that it's only a 9% increase in chronic homelessness, which means that this is a these are a lot of people coming into homelessness for the first time or for the first time in a long time. This isn't a perpetual um, situation. So what do we do for these families that are getting evicted? How do we help figure out how to get them back on their feet um, as well in the short term, as well as create long-term solutions for fixing chronic homelessness problems as well. Overall, like, you know, a negative thing to some negative data to come out this week. uh, But we have seen the council prioritize investments there. Um, Hopefully that's something that, continues because we saw the county not prioritize that and make the city put up more money towards it um and something that we'll just have to keep an eye on uh, especially over the the summer months um to see how the these stories continue to develop all right well let's head to the big story um so what we're going to do with the big story is we are going to break down Um, all the candidate forums that the Fort Worth report did for the district seats. So we're going to break down district four, district seven, district 11, do a recap on our takes on what we felt, how how district 11 um, panel went on our pod. Um, And so that's what we're going to hit. We're not going to do Tarrant water regional district, the school board um, due to time and just, um, you know, just focusing on the big seats for uh, city officials. Let's go ahead and dive in, starting with seven. So District 7 continues to be one of the city's fastest growing, uh, mostly because of growth up north. And then it also stretches down to the cultural district with venues like Dickey's Arena, the museums, etc. We've got three candidates there, Caleb Backholm, Jason Ellis, and Macy Hill. Um, And... uh, You know, one question they started with was this area encompasses the cultural district. How does 
Fort Worth invest in that culture? And honestly, there were some kind of interesting responses. One that was very eye-opening to me. Um, and I'll start with that. Jason Ellis said he believes in Fort Worth's culture but doesn't want to spend any money on it. Instead, he wants to lower property taxes. Let's be. Let's talk about responsible budgets. Let's talk about spending money in the right places. Our culture is here. It's great, but I want to save money. I don't want to spend any money on the arts or cultural system. I got to say, my man, <laughs> you're walking into a district who benefits quite greatly from the amount of activity that goes on in the cultural centers there. I don't know if this is the like laurel you want to rest on <laughs> because number one, if we want to talk about responsible budgets, let's look at our biggest line item, and that's the police. And let's talk about being responsible there, but I'm sure you don't want to have that conversation. Um, and then number two, are you telling me that you don't believe in the public-private partnerships that brought together Dickey's Arena, that bring together the museums, that bring together so much of what is happening in that area? Because if you're telling me that we shouldn't spend money on things like Dickey's Arena, I don't know how your constituency is going to feel about that. And not even just the big projects, but the smaller projects too. What do you believe about the Community Arts Center? What do you believe about the Museum of Science and History? All of these things that take public-private partnership. Are you really saying that you don't want the city spending money on development in your district? I that was probably the answer of this entire forum that I saw was like, oh man, like I don't think you know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb Caleb wasn't any better. Um I mean he talked about cowboy culture and how we need to preserve it. Um Fort Worth has a unique culture that is different from most of the big cities in the country, different than Dallas, just thirty miles to the east. And I think it's important to keep that. A lot of people come here and stay here because of the culture of it. Um I don't think at least that, he acknowledges the importance of yeah, yeah. investing in the rodeo and yeah, the yeah, things yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and and I think, you know, people I don't necessarily know they're coming to Fort Worth because of our culture. I think a lot of people are coming here because of jobs. You know, they have they have, they were asked to come here for a job. Um or they're a minority uh group who has come here to find jobs as well, um, who probably have no idea about stockyards or cowboys do i think that you're getting um uh we are getting like when you look at the companies that are coming here do they align with the kind of western culture you could say that i know we got a boot company from california you know dickie's kind of centering up more in downtown but then you have the cart heart stuff like do i see like people could come and gravitate to that yes but you know ultimately you know there's a lot of people come to the city that's that's uh reflecting not what uh caleb wants to protect clearly here in district seven macy hills you know the person that needs to win this election and 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 it sounds like has the entire establishment behind her anyway um you know has the relationship with firestone philanthropists associate with all these dollars um this seems like uh they needed someone to stop you know oftentimes i feel like people get selected to sit in seats like this uh, because the establishment doesn't want the other candidates. And so this seems like um, a point when I agree with the establishment and saying, if this is our options, um, you know, Macy is clearly the uh, person who needs to win this. Yeah. The next thing they talked about was Lake Worth um, and protecting that area, making sure that the work over there is um, maintaining the, quality of life that people have out there um and i mean all of them had a pretty consistent answer there to you know make sure it's clean make sure it's safe make sure that we're protecting our green spaces um but overall district seven was kind of the i would say the least interesting of any of the panels there just wasn't a ton of meat to it um and uh, you know i agree with you that uh Macy seems like the most put together uh, and polished of the of the candidates. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, 
District 4 isn't that exciting as exciting as well. Um, both candidates in District 4 described uh, a focus on faith and family. Candidate Charles Lowersdorf, a combat veteran, said he focused on public safety, while Teresa Ramirez-Gonzalez is focused on mental health concerns. Um, this used to be um, where Alan Blaylock was, who moved to District 10, um, This week, which also was Carrie Moon before then. Um, they really bring up the improving of mobility in the area. Um, Gonzalez said, I think whenever it comes to traffic on the highways, I think our city leaders need to be engaged with TxDOT. Um, he, he feels like there are other issues outside of infrastructure that he's also, um, more concerned about like the juvenile detention centers being above capacity. What in this one did you feel like, you know, District 4 includes Eagle Mountain and Color ISD. It is northeast, and it, but it's definitely kind of have these more suburbia feel um, neighborhoods um, that have a lot of infrastructure than I would say a District 11 or a District 8, who also has, and District 5. Yeah, I, you know, I agree with them in a lot of ways that there are more pressing issues than uh widening our roads um talking about juvenile detention centers talking about uh how we um you know make sure like kids that are in trouble are getting to the the right place um but i this just feels like a really bleh this, race you no, know the, yeah like, this one to me is worse than seven. Oh yeah yeah like like so yeah i mean it is interesting. I think one of the biggest L's for Fort Worth, one of the biggest L's for Fort Worth post um, expanding to the two additional districts is how unequipped and unprepared for us to have quality candidates in city council. Mm-hmm. Granted, when I say that, people often say to me, well, why don't you run? And you're right. So maybe it's just a very difficult thing for people to go run and do who are running have families who are have jobs so like you can't get i don't know i don't know if that's an excuse but district four we should have better candidates than what we have here district 10 i mean alec blaylock i thought he was just kind of like a a buffer because of four months but no one's running in district 10 that's exciting i would argue district 11 has i'd take two to three of our people and put them in district four and district seven than anybody who's running District 4, 7, 10. That's the point, though, is that we pay our city councilors, you know, $20,000 a year for a more than full-time job and expect to have this plethora of quality candidates that can give that kind of time and energy for no pay at all. Um, and even, like, one of them in this... Uh, in the district four race says like, I don't think we should have expanded to uh, two more districts. Like we should save that money and spend it in better places. One, that money is $50,000. Like, give me a break. Uh, Two, we voted on that and say what you will about Fort Worth voter turnout. People at least had the opportunity to make their voice heard if they so chose not to mean that, you don't you're not allowed to have an opinion now but if you didn't vote back then i don't know what you're saying now um but overall like we set ourselves up to purposely have weaker candidates we we put ourselves in a situation where we are bound to have weaker candidates to protect establishment in the city and you know i'm surprised that there was nobody that uh, you know got thrown into the district four race like a Macy Hill to um, you know yep. put a firmly backed candidate in there. But I think it's very clear that the people who were moved out of district four, like Rick Herring, like Tara Maldonado Wilson, were done so so that they could fight against each other and leave yep. district four with a gap that it's kind of like who's up here yeah no 100 percent. and and to me that's where the argument about is it a, a talent issue because there's a lot of talent in district 11 there's 
there's of the four or five district 11 candidates, I'd run them up against the district four, district seven, district 10. It feels a little, you know, oh, we have a lot of fresh, young black and brown people showing up. Oh, let's all make them from Hempville, Nosavende to Rosemont to Riverside all fight it out over here. So we're always going to have a net like high talented, but it's going to fight tooth and nail. And then our person in second and third don't have a voice when really if we had better lines or I don't know if we didn't do what we did to make a a Hispanic uh, opportunity district, could we have had, you know, Tara and Rick, well, you know, I think Tara now actually lives more in District 11, but if a Rick and four, how dope would a Rick and four be right now? I mean, because that is a Republican uh, district and, you know, who has had Carrie Moon and, and other, but so like, Oh, I mean, he would he would he, wipe the floor with, but he but he would too. be perfect. Yeah, yeah, he would be perfect for this district, where our district, which we're going to talk about, there's a lot of things that make it difficult for you know Rick to come out on top in a Hispanic opportunity district, where the rest of the candidates are either Hispanic, black. So he he's a great guy. He's a good guy, but man, he would have. I feel his. His his swag, his style, his brand would have thrived in District Four, and a lot of that is because of the neighborhood alliances. You know, yeah. like we boxed ourselves into this by uh, being, which I understand. I understand why these neighborhoods can say, "Hey, we have similar interests. We want to be together." But you also rule out, oh, well, there's this other neighborhood right here that we're also. Yep similar to but we're uh we we don't have an alliance so like we you know want to stay with them not a you know it was a lot of weighing and pulling strings here and there um but i you know i think the end result has been some not as exciting races as we had two years ago which also cyclically is probably um you know we had a big turnover on council last time and so I think a lot of people are probably looking at this race and saying, "Yeah, like, am I going to beat a one-time incumbent or do I need to give them another two years before maybe people start to get a little bit more tired of them? Um, and, uh, you know, the same goes for uh, mayoral. There's a lot of, when you know that people are going to show up to vote, because this is a big time and money investment for every candidate. So... If you're looking at the mayoral race and you say, ah, I don't think anyone's going to show up, is it worth your time and money to try and unseat an incumbent versus uh, but, you know, waiting for a more passionate cycle for people? But four, four, but and four seven, is just a straight yeah, up, yeah, 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 four and seven, seven straight and, up and, empty yeah, districts. Yeah, and, and same with 10. Like 10 yeah. was, there's, there's no, yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh, I mean, 10, 10 has Blaylock and another guy who he, his background seems pretty comprehensive and impressive. Um, so so 10 might be okay, but man, you know, like that's going to definitely create a different energy. You know, like, I mean, like I'm not saying you, I mean, Gonzalez here, clearly if she wins, I raise my children with education first. I'm a Christian. I'm a conservative. I'm a Republican. I'm going to able to work with everyone. But the most important part of this is suicide. Child suicide is up 300%. So like, she says a lot there, but like, you know, she's clearly saying this is who I am. And, you know, it's not like she's like trying to play this like centrist moderate role. She's trying to play this is who I am, and what I do. And if she's going to come out on while trying to catch votes this strong and now she's going to show up at city council, you know, like that this character and this skill set and perspective in city is going to bring a different energy. And then whatever comes out of District 11 who on our side it's so we're going to have a lot of i mean even though a lot of the incumbents day the circle the the city hall discussion is going to look a lot different a hundred percent yeah yeah let's hit mayor really quick and then we can dive into district 11 um anything you got from this that you felt um there were a few things um yeah, so first off, they talked about short-term rentals, and I thought there was good conversation here. One, Mayor Parker said, um, 
like the discussion's not over. Uh, you know, she said she supports personal property rights, although I would say that her decision says otherwise. Um, but, uh, you know, Jennifer Castillo, who works in real estate, uh, says it comes down to protecting personal property rights. Adrian Smith um, says, hey, we should put this on the ballot for voters to decide. I think, honestly, like, I think that's a pretty good idea. I don't know what the, you know, difference is between a city council decided thing or a voting thing. Um you know, Mayor Parker says we wanted to delineate between owner-occupied and investor-owned, but there's a Fifth Circuit opinion out of New Orleans that prevented us doing that. Um, I still don't see why we can't put, like, a number limit on it. Maybe there's another decision elsewhere. Um, then they moved into transportation, uh, which had uh, Mayor <laughs> Parker's most interesting answer to me, and that's that if Fort Worth wants to invest in public transportation it's going to need to come from the state or federal level and honestly i just look at that and i'm like twice last year we voted on like 500 million dollar bonds for building more roads so clearly if we wanted to we could locally figure out investing in public transportation like you you don't have to be disingenuous about it and say that it has to come from a state or federal level. You can say our priority is that it comes from a state or federal level because we're choosing to invest in other things here. Um, you know, I thought one of the, uh, you know, Adrian Smith said like, you know, they're not sure about putting in new public transportation, but investing to make the current ones things that we have in place better. I think that's probably the like most practical, um, straightforward of the answers that we got. And, you know, Kenneth Bowens Jr. also said like, there's an important aspect of development. We're talking about growth. You know, they talk about infrastructure and roads as well. So how do we develop public transportation alongside that? Um, but really that answer by, uh, Maddie was the one where I was like, Gave me the biggest eye roll. Like, come on, you can you can be truthful about. I know you're just trying to politic, but you can be truthful about this too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kudos to the to the panelists though. Like, just the diversity of the panelists, yeah. the youthfulness. Um, I mean, you know, it's going to be tough to, you know, take down Maddie Parker. I think Maddie will be there until she doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Uh, but I did think it was funny, you know, they, oh no, this is district four district four. They talked about listening to people and, uh, it was very clear that they were talking about Bob Willoughby and should we <laughs> listen to, is he worth listening to at city council? Um, what's funny here is Miss Gonzalez here. I mean, people talk about district 11 going, you know, could there be a possibly first time Hispanic, uh, woman in city council? The person who has the best odds of doing that right now is Miss Gonzalez here. She's only going against one person in District 4. Um, could she be ho hosting that mantle as the first Latina city council member? That's kind of a funny because everyone's been eyeing District 11 as the opportunity district. <laughs> How funny would it be? District 11 is Rick Herring and then District 4 is your uh, Hispanic opportunity district. And there's uh, Miss Gonzalez taking the throne. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and dive into our, our District 11 um, candidate forum. One, I saw the Fort Worth report one as well and the 817 podcast one, obviously because we were hosting, <laughs> hosting it. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely think um, I have a lot to say here. I think I need to decide when and how I say everything. Um, I don't know if the pod should eventually have a clear who do we believe should be the candidate especially after we just hosted everyone and what I can say is I think I could sleep at night feeling okay with all five in the sense of they're all good people they're all like I felt like very impressed in different ways um I thought Christopher the fact that we were one of the only ones to get Christopher on he was really impressive out of nowhere like just really friendly very nice um I learned a lot about from him. Like that was the most time. I was very impressed with, uh, you know, the last question. He was just like, I don't have a good answer for this. So I would, you know, like to ask questions, seek people that have knowledge and then 
you know, make a decision based off of that. I'm like, that's a, a very just mature, well-spoken, um, just like genuine response as opposed to, you know, pretending you, you know, it all that, that was, uh, something I really enjoyed from him. Yeah. 100%. So, uh, so what, so let's go ahead and, um, break it down. You have, um, in district 11, you have Jeanette Martinez, you have Tara Maldonado Wilson, you have Rick Herring, you have Christopher Johnson and Ricardo Avitia. Um, basically my best takes that I can give you thinking through this is I think you have five candidates and, and I can clearly see where four are Christopher Johnson's kind of like, I'm not even sure if he's taking it this seriously. I mean, even his Facebook page still says district eight, like Mm -hmm. he doesn't have a website. He didn't show up to the Fort Worth debate. I'm not sure how honest he is with himself of wanting to do this. So taking him out, the other four, you kind of have Ricardo Vitia, who's like, I'm the working class candidate. You have Rick Herring, who's like, I'm the home association candidate. Jeanette Martinez is becoming, and to me, one of the biggest shockers of it all is like the establishment candidate. Like there's a lot there. And then you got Tara Maldonado Wilson, which I'm going to put her in a bucket of the progressive candidate. Like she's the most progressive of the four. And so you're seeing this kind of, battling out for the next month who is going to gravitate to most of a district 11 which i thought was interesting like i love what rick herring said around all the other councils wrote wrote in their institutions and like you know they took all the institutions right they kept tcu they kept wesleyan they they did all the things to keep their assets so we're just a district with a bunch of neighborhoods um i thought that was interesting Mm. Um, but that was probably my overall summary of district 11 is like, that is going to be the battle. What is your kind of overall take after running the district 11 debate? And then also, uh, reviewing the Fort Worth one report. Yeah. And I think the next step to what you said is not just, we're a bunch of neighborhoods. We're a bunch of neighborhoods that the city does not invest in. Mm -hmm. And I think that every candidate understands that deeply and feels that deeply and wants to change that. I was really impressed with, you know, we've had Tara on twice before individually for the other races that she has run in the past. And she has this, you know, like chaotic, like I'm going to go like bulldog energy, which she still has now, but it's in a much crisper, um, more clean. And, you know, even though she is more long-winded, more concise than she has been in the past. Like, I think you can tell a real difference in her energy uh, this time around as opposed to the previous two. Um, she has, She's definitely gotten better. Yeah. Like, we, you know, her first two interviews with us were underwater. I think the first one, she remember she had, like, call us back. It was, she was, like, doing something else. Like, I feel like it, Everyone's been rooting for Tara to get her feet established as a candidate, and she's definitely got elevated. Like, I think she's her brand has gotten really strong, which is to me was one of the more like exciting parts of the debate. I was like, oh, okay, you're you're bringing it with some points, with some perspective, with some personal personality, with some conviction and clarity. Um, And then you're also branding yourself as the part. You know, I've seen her several times in public, and I'm like, okay, you're out here trying to really showcase um i think what she ultimately is going to need though if she's going to be that progressive candidate and if district 11 is a democratic candidate or a progressive territory she's going to have to in my opinion get someone at the establishment level Mm. to endorse her um which is going to be hard because i mean jeanette has all the endorsements more than everyone else combined from like the establishment perspective. So can she get a Jared Williams, a uh, 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 a Deborah Peoples, uh, a Ramon Romero, somebody to yeah. to say, hey, um, I've seen Tara grow, and you know anyone more you know ready and qualified and has the talent and energy to do so, um, it's Tara. Like that's what she kind of needs to align with all the growth. I'm proud of her as just like seeing her grow as a as a Fort Worthian. Yeah. And then I I think the person who uh, um, 
surprised me the most was Jeanette. You can you can tell that um, you know she's using the same ad agency that like Greg Abbott, other uh, statewide Republicans, very conservatives have used. Um, you can tell that she's a little bit uncomfortable in her messaging, and that came across for us as a little bit more jumbled, very um, concise uh, answers, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you could tell that she just wasn't sure exactly uh, how she should message herself. And I think that also came across at the Fort Worth Report panel. Um, and But, you know, she does have the donations of you know when you look through her donations it's the donations of the establishment type of people and they don't have to do those until april 6 yes so so it's i'm i'm very interested to see that list yes and and what you're saying is the murphy nasica agency Mm -hmm. which is an agency often used by the republican candidates i know carlos flores used it as well but he's a Democrat candidate, quote unquote, and I know you know Jeanette's has the 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 blue donation as a Democrat. I definitely do believe that all of all of this establishment endorsement to Jeanette is very eerie. It's very cloud. It's clouded a lot of things. Yeah, and I think you know, like her closing statement for us about you know you never know when you're going to get shot through a window or something yeah it just felt it felt very uh very copsy just of it and the way that it was presented just felt like she's still getting comfortable in that messaging that it's not necessarily who um she has been uh or is through and through and so i don't know it'll be there's only like a month till election time. Can she like button it up in a way that's enough to get to a runoff? Because then also like we are a set, a district of neighborhoods that are underinvested in. Will people yeah. see all of the Facebook ads, all of the apparent funding when that comes out, where that funding has come from and be like, Oh, like, if that's who's backing you, they haven't worked for me before, so why would I vote for the candidate that they're backing now? Yeah, um, this is this is a tough one. I mean, I'm interested to see how Jeanette interweaves back her own voice or her own like her own vision with the campaign notes that she's getting because. Mm. I mean, even just the whole back to basics messaging is very tuned to a narrative that like you don't get that unless someone was crafting that for you. Yeah. And so, again, do I 100 percent know this whole Murphy Nasica agency stuff is what's going on? Like, I don't think we really know until they start posting who's they're financing, who's supporting them. Like that detail is still out to, to see. But it definitely seems like. You know, Jeanette was a passionate working person in Fort Worth, had the opportunity to run because there's like also like this like mixture with Crystal Galvin was going to run. Mm-hmm. And then instead she endorsed Jeanette. It sounds like Jeanette maybe only had a couple of hours, to decide, like a 24 hours to decide if she should run. But then once she did that, she got like all like it seems like the system also then got aligned with her. So I think she's looking at herself today in the mirror like, dang, what just happened in the past two weeks where I went from, yeah, I'm going to run for city council. I think that's a good idea to now. Holy smokes. You got all these endorsements, all these other people now expecting you to be something that you're not even like you haven't even fully fathomed yourself. So I think like it's going to be interesting to see how she matures her own voice, her own like her own ideas within what she's receiving from the establishment and does she become a pawn like Flores, who, yes, is a minority figure, but is, you know, hollow inside when it comes to having his own takes? Yeah. You know, like, that's my fear, you know. And so, but I'm going to give benefit of a doubt on time and speed to see what happens uh, on that. Uh, but let's go move to some other candidates. Yeah. I mean, I think R- Ricardo, like, we talked about his work for a long time since Hempel Nosevende first launched um 
I, I'm excited th- that he ran, you know, like yeah. I, I'm glad that somebody from that Hempill corridor community stepped up and said, Hey, this is a chance for our community to, um, take hold and really grasp a position that we've kind of been shut out from in the past. Um, I think he is, uh, maybe in a place where Tara was last election where oh, it's point. still a little bit unpolished. Like I think if good point, I think if he continued to, um, invest in this level of running in races like these, like we would continue to see him grow and grow more as a candidate. Um, because it's obviously clear that he's, very passionate about his community, very passionate about communities that fit into the same buckets as his and wants to listen to people and have their voice be heard. Um, so, I mean, I really appreciated, uh, I really appreciate that he's running, that he's making this time and money investment. Um, I'm seeing more of his signs out now this past week. Um, yeah, I was in the Hempville area for a, uh, an estate sale. Do you see that crazy house that went on estate sale? No. It was like some doctor who was 90 or whatever mm. in the Ryan's place. But yeah, me and my wife went uh, and uh, he has the Hempville area. He is rocking. I mean, yeah, he's going to get he's going to get votes. I think that's the thing with all five of these people is that they have their communities and they're going to get is it votes. Is it possible that someone comes out with majority? And when I say the majority, I'm talking specifically Rick here. You know, like I think Rick, that they get to 50 to avoid a runoff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like because because the Hispanic population leadership team and then Christopher with Polly, are they all going to get their neighborhoods? Yeah, he still won't get enough. Then I just I don't know. I just don't know how much of outside of his neighborhood he gets. But it's 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 definitely he's the. It feels like he's the leader of the candidates of someone's going to go against him. Yeah, yeah. And Signs whatever. are everywhere. He, yeah. You know, Meadowbrook, Meadowbrook, the Meadowbrooks are kind of the unclaimed territory in this district right now in that there's not a candidate from here running, right? Like you've got Rosemont represented, you got Hemphill, you got Riverside, you got Polly. And so. Big man, you're on fire. Meadow, you're right. The Meadowbrooks are massive. And they're unclaimed territory. And Rick has a good relationship with the Meadowbrook Neighborhood Association. And so that's a lot of the signs that we're seeing interspersed here. I've seen uh, a little bit of Tara. I've started, you know, seen a little bit of Jeanette. But the majority of what you're seeing is uh, Rick Herring. And so can the Meadow, the Meadowbrooks are going to be the difference maker. Um, Can they get rick to 50 percent on a first vote can they get tara to 50 percent? can they get jeanette to 50 percent? i i don't i don't know yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's just gonna be so different so let's let's hit like you know you know again I, I i think like again like rick is a listener you know i think tara's a listener they're gonna we're probably gonna get messages about all this stuff um but you know to me at the end of the day, I thought Rick was a great, like, if I had to say who did the best on our debate, it was Tara and Rick, just from, like, preparation, you know, like, messaging, they, they messaging. know they're messaging, yeah, 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 like, everyone else kind of, you can tell they were working on who they were, and, and, and a lot of people said they, everyone else did better on the fourth worth report one, because they kind of got their shot here, they kind of worked on a couple things, um, but, you know, the, the thing with Rick is, that that's going to be a challenge for him is everyone's coming at him for the whole diversity thing. And I mean, on the Fort Worth report, they did a whole, like, how do you, how are you going to talk to um, a multi uh, Spanish speaking audience? And, and you know, do you know Spanish? Like that was the question. And then like Ricardo just speaks in Spanish. I think Rick handled that well though. You know, he was like, I'm going to hire somebody who is bilingual. Perfect. Other council members represent other communities and they're not bilingual. Also very true. Like I I think he has handled that. um, I don't want to say attack because it's not, I don't think it has come across aggressively. Maybe he feels like it has. Um, But I think that he has handled that question well and has a plan for it. I, yeah. And I think for, for me, 
you know, I don't think I'm an average voter in the city, but what's going to, you know, for me, for Rick, it's like, hey, you, you're going to say you're about diversity and you can get the vo- voice. Because even in our panel, I think it was Tara who kind of went at him and was like, I don't think he has the voice. And he's like, not, that's not true. I have, you know, my local community. But I just kind of find it untrue if this goes back to what I said. To me right now, it's a battle between Carlos Avita, who has the working class, Jeanette, who, uh, who Martinez, with Ricardo, the estate, Avitia. Ricardo Avitia, who has the... Uh, uh, Working class Jeanette Martinez, who has the establishment, Rick, who has the home associations, and then Tara, who's kind of definitely the most progressive. And so, does does District Eleven vote on values that they usually, you know, their Democratic values do that, that they usually do, or are they going to use this time to like go a different angle? And Rick, to me, is like the home association crowd has not proven that they can be for the diverse person Mm. in their city like if if you go back and look at their you know i have 30 years of home association experience or working with the community you look at home associations they have clearly have not done a good job of getting black and brown voices in their home associations and that's not a knock i do again we have good people in our home association i'm just like look at the audience who are we representing who voices are actually being heard and so like to me I think Rick has a lot of work to still do to show that he can be for the diverse voice because just because you have the home associations, that doesn't mean you do. And I think that's everyone has an Achilles heel this race. And I'm excited to see how Tara handles being the most raw kind of needing to get more progressive support, how Jeanette handles getting her voice through her establishment play that she has, how Rick shows that he can be for the people um, of all people, and then Ricardo, like you said, can he be bigger than just the Hemphill-Nosavenda area? Can he showcase um, his and articulate his message and story um, across the entire district? Every candidate has a, a something they're fighting for this next month mm-hmm. that they need to uplift and show to get voters excited to come out. Um, so I think that's exciting. That's to me like the overall, like, you know, we're an hour in. I think that's the... Bo that I would share with our listeners is like, then you all got to look at what you see as most important. Well, I think that's a good bow to tie on to it. Um, let's, I, you know, we'll definitely be talking about this more over the next month. Um, but let's move into our wins and losses. I'll start with my loss. Uh, this one might be a loss for a while, but Fort Worth Report published an article. Here's how a single line cost Fort Worth $7.6 million in cost overruns on its new city hall, bringing the total cost overruns so far to $50 million. Um, So after discovering part of the project site falls into a federal floodway easement established in 1954, the city announced they'll be forced to spend that additional money because of delays in permitting costs. Um, this is for the new city hall that is adjacent to the pier one building. Um, like y'all were so confident in these drawings, in these surveys that you didn't even think to double check with the federal stuff. And so now we're having to, you know, go through the army Corps of engineers to get a set special, I think it's a, a four section 408 permit, um, to allow works projects like a floodway easement, uh, when it says it will not harm the public or reduce the efficacy of the project. Like, come on. You, I, I'll make this personal. When we were opening the, the Granberry Theater, we couldn't figure out where to put a bike rack. They held our project back for six months as we tried to figure out where to put a mother effing bike <laughs> rack. And we would put, we would, you know, read through all the code. We would be like, okay, like this spot here looks like it fits. Send it to them. They send it back no, after like a week or two weeks. Be like, no, that doesn't work. So then we'd be like, okay, like can you help us out? Like let, can we meet together, blah, blah, blah. No, like you got to figure it out. Okay. So then, you know, we start calling in uh, bigger guns, calling in favors of people that we know to try and like get meetings over and over and over again. Guess what? We lost the bike rack during construction, never put it out, and like they never <laughs> even checked it. Um, that cost me six months of my life. Yeah. 
Yet you're out here spending $50 million of the city's money because you couldn't take however much time to double check this. Like, get out of town. Yeah. Big loss. Major so, L. So what's your grade on like City Hall at this point? Like the City Hall redesign move into Pier 1? It all I mean, like it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like hard to say because I'm sure whatever we were building from scratch would also have had cost overruns. Yeah, they're still going to be like this was cheaper than what we were going to do. I I would, you know, I think that there's been a lot of tough looks with this, and that goes in combination with the changes to how public comment is happening at city council meetings. Um, that maybe make city council currently feel even less accessible than it was pre-pandemic and pre the move um so i don't know i mean they're probably passing but not by a ton yeah yeah well mine mine's kind of my loss kind of goes into the same thing you're talking about um cost but uh, mine's at the county level level tarrant taxpayers have spent 26.6 million dollars on software that doesn't work is it time to pull the plug so um, $2.6 million on a court software system since 2011, and the program has not gotten off the ground. Textures.courts um, is a software uh, that we were going to use to help us be more effective and efficient on how we operate. And Travis County pulled out of this project in 2016. Dallas County gave up in 2020 after spending $35 million. Tarrant County's price tag continues to climb. And commissioners unanimously voted to put another half a million dollars toward the program during a March 7th meeting. But the indent, but the document does show that the number could reach 6.3 million additional dollars. Um, to spend this kind of taxpayer money and to un um, ability to implement it, this is a massive L. And again, don't let anyone tell you um, that we're a conservative, fiscally responsible city. Like that whole narrative just needs to stop. We got Panther Island. We got City Hall. We got we got the county, you know, can't even get a software implemented. That's been something you chose in 2011. I want to know which of the like federal uh, or state officials' kids are running this because this this feels like a K Granger Panther Island thing. Yeah, where you've got someone you, know, you golf Houston, with. Yeah, Houston looked at it as like, oh, this is dumb. Like we already put too much money into yeah. it. Dallas is like, yeah, like maybe this is a state rep that kind of covers our area. We'll we'll let them string out. And then finally in 2020, they're like, nah, like you guys are this is too much. And then you got Tarrant County, like, oh, this is, you know, Kay Granger's great nephew who's married to some other establishment person's uh, kid. Like, let's just keep keep plugging it along. Yeah. Because there's no way that this is just like a clean bill um, that we're just funding. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So that's the that's the LMIN. Um, my win is uh, Texas Fort Worth's. Nanoscope Therapeutic reports groundbreaking trial results. Um, you know, Fort, uh, Tech Fort Worth is a hub of kind of an accelerator, a coaching program that helps um, tech companies flourish in the city. They've been around for a couple decades now. Um, they also facilitate really our only VC, um, I mean, angel group, Cowtown Angels. Um, so one of the startups there on Thursday announced it's MCO-010 therapy to restore vision to those impacted by a group of rare eye diseases have received fast track designation from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration after its most recent clinical trial demonstrated positive and unprecedented results. Um, this is a big win. That's cool. For Fort Worth Innovation. This is a big win. Uh uh, we we do this a lot technically I think in Fort Worth where we where we get stuff like this. Um, the problem is, does it ever lead the businesses or does it lead the products that then get acquired by big med you know companies? Um, but all in all, like shout out to uh, the founding team um, who 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 has been making this happen. Um, and uh, they previously received a three point five million grant from the National Institute of Health and been working on this since 2009. Love that. Love that consistency and committed to making something like this work. Uh, my win is the current exhibit going on at the Eamon Carter Museum of American Art, and that's called Emancipation, the Unfinished Project 
object of liberation. It's on the second floor, runs through July 9th, um, and it is meant to visualize what freedom looks like for black Americans today and the legacy of the Civil War in 2023 and beyond. It highlights the perspectives of a number of contemporary black artists uh, who were asked to respond to John Quincy Adams Ward's bronze sculpture, The Freedman, from the Carter's permanent collection. Uh, that was initially sculpted by Ward before the end of the Civil War uh, and depicts um, a figure on the cusp of liberation having ruptured his bonds, though they are still present as a reminder of his enslavement. It's one of the first American depictions of a black figure cast in bronze in nineteen or eighteen sixty-three. Um, honest, I I haven't been yet. I really want to go, but my win is just that I love that the Amon Carter and our museums in general do a really fantastic job of highlighting different perspectives. Um, and when the reason I found out about this was during a commercial, I think for a final four game or there, it was, it was a commercial on TV on connected TV. So on YouTube TV, um, and I was like, that's awesome that they're putting the money behind this to be highlighting it um, on not just like their social medias. Um, so if you have the chance, I would definitely take the opportunity to go and see this exhibit through July 9th. Um, I think it'll be uh, something we'll definitely enjoy before we go. Yeah, no, great, great stuff. I, I definitely got to get there. We've already talked about getting out there. Um, so we will definitely be doing that. Guys, thank you for joining us for the 817 podcast as we review candidate forums for uh, Fort Worth leadership. As we know, early voting starts April 24th, ends May 2nd, election day is May 6th. I think we're still processing our own feelings and ideas around, uh, you know, who are, we're all going to vote for, who, who we're going to see um, thrive uh, in the city, but continue to use the 817 po podcast as a resource, as a soundboard, um, to something that allows you to check your own reality, you know, your, you know, audit your own perspective. I feel like that's often what it does for me and Jimmy as well. And it's been great to be a source and also all the new people welcome. And uh, yeah, the district 11 candidate forum has become our most uh, fastest growing, highest viewed episode uh, in a long time. So uh, enjoy that if you have not. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for tuning in every week and we'll see you next Monday.